Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 87 of the Double Density Podcast with your hosts, Brian Angelo. Double Density, your home to tech tales and paranormal. Primers now, first things first, Angelo, it is the day after Christmas. Where is my present? It's in a box because it's Boxing Day. I'll be sending it to you. Um, it's it's a box that has glitter that's going to explode all over you and uh, maybe have uh, some fart-smelling stuff. Perfect. I'm really glad that you've decided to honor our friendship in that way. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I do. I always do that. <laughs> uh, so are you filled with turkey? Like, talk, talk to me about what's going on inside your body. Well, because it's not actually after Christmas okay, and I'm, you're kind uh, of trying to lie to everybody, Brian. We're uh, just, don't break the illusion here. I break the fourth wall. It's not Boxing Day here. It's Boxing Day here in Canada. Uh, this is out on the 26th. Correct. So for our friends that don't know what Boxing Day is, it's when, it's sort of like, so we have Black Friday now and... That wasn't a thing for a while, right? Here, like Black Friday was a thing in the U.S. for quite a while. And then we sort of got it here, what, like five, six, seven, eight yeah, years like ago? Yeah, like in a major way, I'd say like seven, eight years ago, yeah. But before that, and ever since I can remember from when I was a little kid, Boxing Day was the thing here where the day after Christmas, there would be bonkers sales and people would fall over themselves to get something at the store. Yeah. And uh, now we have that like twice in a row. Yeah. So we get, we get Black Friday, then we get Cyber Monday, then there's like Green Monday. And now there's uh, Boxing Giving Day. Giving Tuesday and then Boxing Day. I do not leave the house on Boxing Day, especially now that if I really want something, I could buy it online, but I don't really care too much to save like $5 on something. There are things that they call door crashers where it's TVs for like $15 or whatever, but usually those TVs are not worth fighting over. They really, really aren't. And uh, I think this might be the first year where I have no interest at all in buying anything. So I feel like I've finally beaten that out of my system because I was one of those people who used to line up. Really? Oh, yeah. The only thing I ever stood in line for was, and I was young. Episode one. I was like 15, maybe. And my dad brought me to a good old future shop where uh, later on in life, I ended up working there for a bit. And I bought Civilization Two for the PC. How, how, do you remember how much you paid for it versus what was the, like, the market value of it? absolutely no idea you just knew you were getting a deal i i don't even know if i got a deal i'm just it's boxing day i'm gonna buy something and what a waste of time that was <laughs> uh all that to say like uh, is there anything you're on the lookout for this year like do you care no not really i mean if they're like a home pod is 200 dollars off maybe i'll buy that I, i'm lucky enough to have what i need really i don't really need anything i, I could stand to get a new tv my tv is like 11 years old but uh, again, I'm one of those people that kind of just runs things into the ground. Right. So then in that case, there's nothing this year. Uh, you're just going to keep on keeping on. You're not even going to buy me a Nintendo Switch. No, no. I guess. Maybe okay. that'll be your wedding present. I don't know. Oh, perfect. Maybe. I, Instead of giving you money like most people yeah. do. And, uh, <laughs> uh, what we uh, like in my culture, I'm, I'm like in, uh, Italians here usually just give cash in like an envelope. Right. And we literally call it uh, the envelope. <laughs> uh so i would accept a package uh if i saw that was red i'd be super excited and would you like it to be a, a glitter filled stink bomb no i would like it to be a real representation of our friendship oh okay sorry so, yes uh, no yeah there's no there's no if you gave me a joke present at my wedding i think knowing that so this is the thing you don't know where i live yet i know exactly where you live my friend <laughs> I actually have no idea where you live. Well, I have an idea of like the township you live in. Yes. Uh, is that what we would call it? The borough of Montreal? It's, sure. Uh, the neighborhood. Uh, yes. But yeah, I don't really know where you live. I guess I could look you up somewhere. I wonder Do if they you have could. Those things? 
I'm sure I don't Facebook know. has your address. I'm sure you didn't give it to them, but I'm sure they have it. But how would you find it? You know what? This I is a mission. Okay, here, here, here. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Okay. So we're uh, since you've already broken like the fourth wall on this, like we're pre-recording right before Christmas. We're doing two episodes in a row. So in the new year, your I challenge never said we is, were doing two episodes in a row. Well, it's going to come out anyways. But okay. because, I'm explaining this because of the fact that I want you to go out and try to find my address. Right now. No, no, no. Like before, what are we, like episode 87? So episode 89, let's say. Okay. You have like two weeks and change to try and find my address. All right. Can I use my uh, database at work? That would be illegal, I guess. You could. It would not be the right address. It's true. Yeah. But you, you could. You left. It's true. But I could look up. I, however, I could look up your fiance. I don't even know if she has the right one here. Oh. All right. Well, I don't know what I'd do. Game on, my friend. Game on. What's this? Kids with a cellular phone? Introducing Amigo from Cantel. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Double density. So this episode's kind of a special one because it is one shorter, obviously, as you can tell. But two, we managed to find um, something that we like to talk about that marries both the tech side of things as well as the paranormal side of things. And it is an article from uh, Bloomberg Business Weekly. And it is about the man who may have created the modern flying saucer. You see, I thought I knew about where UFOs came from, and I thought I knew about Silicon Valley, and these are two things I'm interested in. I guess one more than the other. I don't know. Like, I've been back and forth. Like, when I was younger, obviously, I really liked UFOs and stuff. Now, in my older age, I'm more interested in what's going on in Silicon Valley, but I had no idea that this person existed and that he had such an influence on what we think of as the modern-day UFO slash flying saucer. Right. Uh, so it's an article by Ashley Vance, and he's uh, most well known for the 2015, I think, biography of Elon Musk, the one that you kind of see everywhere where Elon's got his arms crossed. I think you know what I'm talking about? Yes, and that's how the person who he features in this article came to find him. Right. So after the biography got published, Vance was receiving a ton of letters from people. Uh, well, not just letters, but I mean like emails and, and other kind of like uh, messages too, all about how they wanted to pitch their ideas uh, to Elon through Ashley Vance. Ashley Vance sounds like a fake name. I just want to quote from the article. So I was receiving scores of messages from people with free energy machines, teleportation devices, and Mars landers. So uh, a lot of like a whole cottage industry of uh, inventors out there trying to pitch their wares to Elon Musk. He really had to vet who was uh, who he was replying to with all the bizarre stuff he was getting. Yes, for sure. Yes, yeah, exactly. So then he receives this one letter from a man named Randy Hunter, who is an art dealer and a collector, and who pitches him on the idea of something fantastical, probably one of the best nonfiction stories that Vance has ever heard, which is quite the line. Well, for sure, considering. This guy's done the research on Elon Musk and probably all the stuff he uncovered doing that and everything else. He's been in, he's been writing for years. He's been a journalist for a long time. So imagine all the things he's come across. And this was the first he had heard of this as well. Yes. Yes. So basically, uh, Randy Hunter is trying to sell Ashley Vance on the idea of a man named Alexander Wagers. I kept pronouncing that name wrong, and then I watched the video after I <laughs> read the article. That reminds me of like, you know, when have you ever like read a book and then watched the movie and realized you were pronouncing all the characters' names wrong? Absolutely, yes. This happened with me with uh, Hermione from the Harry Potter books. Well, how, how would you pronounce it? When I first, when I, so I read the first Harry Potter, I guess like in the late 90s, early 2000s, and then I watched the movie, and 
uh, I kept reading it as Hermione, because I'd never heard the name Hermione. And then they said her name in the movie, and I felt very embarrassed. And that's when you knew. I can't read. <laughs> uh, quick revelations here on this uh, Boxing Day episode of Double Dance Angelique. But yeah, so this guy, Alexander Wagers, was born in 1901, kind of had this really interesting life, was an inventor, um, a sculptor, uh, a painter, um, sort of like a multidisciplinary kind of guy, right? He, uh, dare we say, a, a modern-day Leonardo da Vinci, and uh, he says that in this article, except he says he's a modern-day da Vinci. And uh, we know uh, what's wrong about that, considering an episode from a few weeks ago. Uh, very, very true, my friend. That's a really good point. Uh, I feel like this will be like a sticking point whenever he comes up in the future. Uh, yeah, I guess, but uh, the article's super well written, so I can forgive that one little flub. Hear that, Ashley Vance, we're coming for you. Uh, but either way, so Weiger's born in 1901, creates this um, contraption, right, that looks like a flying saucer, um, and uh, Hunter had dug up blueprints dating back to the 1920s, so um, there's one in particular in 1927 that's kind of the like the master blueprint of this idea like it was a self-propelling um saucer and he kind of uh through the 30s and 40s advanced this idea especially um when it comes time to world war ii right so he envisioned this as a sort of like um uh, mechanism by which people could save their loved ones from like auschwitz or like other um concentration camps and sort of like uh the idea of like fleeting uh, sneaking into the night and just um saving your loved ones very stealthily through this have you mentioned what it's called yet no, so it is called the discopter. Now, see, I wasn't sure. So he invented this in like the late 20s. I didn't realize helicopters were around back then, which is what I'm assuming the word copter comes from. So there were prototypes of helicopters uh, dating back to that point. From what I understand, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I'm not uh, like an engineering historian here uh, okay. as much as I like to pretend to be one. Uh, but it seems like there were several prototypes um, of the time here. Um, same thing, like, uh, let's say, like, two or three decades prior with the invention of the the plane, right? Yeah, well, Leonardo da Vinci kind of had an idea for that type of thing. Also, a helicopter. So, with the Wright brothers, their first uh, manned successful flights, like that, and I'm underlining the word successful here, is, is 1903. So, uh, 25 years removed from that, uh, Alexander Wagers creates... Um, conceptually, what is the discopter, right? So he uh, moves to California after being in Seattle for a while, and he applies for a patent. He gets the discopter patent in 1945. We're talking about the Wright brothers and the fact that this was in the late 20s, early 30s. This thing is extremely, uh, dare I say, futuristic looking, and um, it, it would look contemporary now. It very much does. In a and steampunk that's kind of way, but still. Yeah. If you read the Paul Cornell uh, Saucer Country, Saucer County books, some of the designs actually do look like some stuff that Wagers had done too. So um, something to keep in mind if you ever decide to pick up those uh, those graphic novels or rather collections of, of comics. So it's kind of interesting to see how, like, because I only knew this uh, afterwards, like when I was watching the video and, and, and reading the long form piece, um, and I kind of pieced the two together, how cool it was that it's kind of a reference to that in some ways, it seems like. And now it sounds like we're not talking about tech at all. Like this is the reason we're saying this kind of mixes both segments of our show is that he kind of placed himself in Silicon Valley before it was even known as Silicon Valley. And he was sort of like almost like a Steve Jobs at the time of the time, but like more cultish, I guess. Yeah, like, so, for example, um, he wrote how-tos um, for sculpture and interior decorating and design. He, later on in his life in the 60s and 70s, would have people over for a six-week course where he would teach them how to build things from... Um, and his, it, so, Wagers' big thing is, like, he would take discarded things and kind of give them a new life. 
Yes, and he actually built himself a whole house built of recycled materials, which uh, it's really interesting. They uh, describe it as a geodesic dome gone wild. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it is kind of bonkers when you look at it. Yeah. Really interesting. He lived in this, and he was a very proud man and was upset that his design for this UFO, well, we can't call it UFO, this flying saucer, the, the discopter, was basically stolen. It was kind of like taken out from underneath him and was used as kind of an idea for the modern flying saucer. Came, yeah. Yeah. Uh, basically, I wonder though if, if um, Kenneth Arnold's line of uh, like saucers skipping on a pond had not been misappropriated and called flying saucers, if ever this would have taken the shape it did. Right. So to note, right, the patent was from 1945. So that's roughly two years before the Arnold signing in, in June 1947. Um, and then, so, I mean, the thing too is that like, you have to understand comparably throughout history, there have been sightings of saucers, but not really in the modern era in the way in which we describe it, which really kicked off with the Arnold sighting with Roswell um, two years after this patent had been applied. And uh, the funny thing is a lot of the local press in California agreed with Wagers, right? They they saw value in what he was saying in terms of even if this is a man-made object, it is of a design that is very similar to what I've created and what is mine. Well, looking back now, I agree with them too. I think that this whole flying saucer thing was kind of taken away from him. And he pretty much invented what we think of as a flying saucer. Now, in modern times, these things have changed as well. Like they've become triangles and uh, other types of shapes, the cigar-shaped ones. But I would say, what what percentage? Like eighty percent of like just regular people that don't really have an interest in this. If you told them, draw me a flying saucer, or pick one of these things, and you put a discopter along with a few other things, they would pick the discopter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so something to know is that everyone should head over into the show notes and look at the Bloomer article and kind of get an idea of what a lot of these very intricate drawings and blueprints look like because it is unmistakably a flying saucer. It is unmistakably very similar in design to the popular flying saucer that had been um, uh, propagated by the U.S. government uh, in the 40s and 50s onwards. And I, I, it's really too similar for it to be very coincidental that, you know, uh, where were we to believe the even it's kind of difficult, right? Because I feel like. I'm of two minds of this, right? Because the dreamer in me wants to believe that this is that the flying saucers uh, seen by Kenneth Arnold and seen by others uh, is very uh, non-earthly in nature. But then again, like things like this kind of point towards the other direction that maybe the government was working on experimental aircraft. And one of the things to note, right, is that even though Wagers was granted a patent for the discopter, he still didn't have the engine. He still didn't have the idea of how it would work. And he was also hoping that in the future, there'd be lighter materials in which this could actually physically be built. Because this patent uh, was mostly theoretical in nature. Like, there wasn't a working prototype. It was way ahead of its time. He brought it to pretty much every branch of the military. And every single branch said, thank you for the work. It looks great, but we can't do this at this time. The materials didn't exist. Yeah, so he also brought it to like, like the Ford Motor Company and things like that. Like he shopped it around private, public, military, non-military. But there's a lot of a, a paper trail being created here, right? Where he kind of like probably like leaves packets around for uh, military contractors. And, you know, and so like there is an abundance of material that exists here um, that's out in the open. That's kind of in the same area on the West Coast of the United States um, during the same time frame. Well, this does that that does point to it being pretty much stolen out from underneath him. 
everything that kind of was made with this shape, because the, the the military has acknowledged that they did try to work on UFO type. Well, I keep saying UFO, flying saucer type <laughs> aircraft, right? Because UFO UAP is... UAP type. Yeah. Well, not even, right? Because that's the unidentified. These things are identified. We know yes. that this yes. is a military made object. And I, I always have, I have never liked the term flying saucer. I don't know if you know that about me. I no, rarely not? use it. I often just say UFO. And to me, that's synonymous with flying saucer, even though that's not true. Because then sometimes I'll argue the other side of saying, well, a UFO is a UFO. It just means it's unidentified. It's not an alien aircraft. It's, we just don't know what it is. And that's the best answer we can give. We can speculate at it. But at this point, uh, no speculation here. I, my, my theory on this is that the military just wholeheartedly stole what he made and took parts that would work and put it to work, but it didn't actually. Here's a question for you then, right? We've talked about Roswell on a couple of episodes, right? And you were saying like weather balloons kind of make sense. In light of this, do you want to then switch perhaps your theory to it was a man-made object that they were testing out and it had failed? I don't think so. I still think Roswell is the mogul balloons. Okay. Uh, that, that's the, the best actual explanation. And look, the government wouldn't lie to us about something <laughs> like this. They would come out and tell us the truth. Uh, Sweet naive Angelo. So why would you not trust the government on uh, secret military crafts that have a whole mythology around them? So I was digging around and reading around and learning more about Weiger. Super interesting guy, but it, it just seems so coincidental to me that like 1945, this patent appears on the docket. And I mean, the military, is, especially the United States military, is it known for, you know, being above the board with these kinds of things? So it wouldn't surprise me if they saw something that they liked and they figured that they could mold for their own means and then decided to run with it without acknowledging the fact that like this was patented um, by an individual in, you know, uh, who exists outside of all of this. Yeah. And so you just brought another thought to mind. Remember when, like, we were kids and stuff, everybody would say, like, the, all the most technologically advanced stuff is with the military. And I don't feel that's true anymore. Maybe I'm just naive and think that uh, companies like Apple and Google and, uh, God forbid, Facebook and uh, even Tesla are more advanced than in terms of, like, creating sorts of hardware uh, than the NSA. Like, the NSA is not creating their own hardware. They're taking the hardware that these other companies make and using it. But I love the idea that you uh, see this as like a two-tracked kind of thing because it's clearly they're hand in hand. And I feel like even at the upper echelons of the security world, um, there's been a lot of give and take that we're not privy to that will probably leak out eventually because I do feel like the military still is very advanced in terms of the tech that they have in their possession that working on um, outside of the public sector. Uh, smaller units are probably working on things and that's why you haven't seen many leaks so you think like they have um, processors that are more advanced than the processors in the new iPads? I don't even I don't know necessarily processors, but I do think like um, uh, ways of parsing information, ways of collecting information are much. Okay, more. yes, that yeah. So and that's what I'm trying to get at. Like the like deep fakes to me are not new. Okay. Uh, in terms of like military tech, I feel like something like a deep fake would have existed. And uh, a deep fake, for anyone who doesn't know, because I feel like perhaps we throw these terms around without realizing what they are, is basically like an AI, like a, a, an artificially created image of like um, something that looks enough to be real. Like, for example, there's a big worry that there's going to be, and some people have done this, right? Where they take a celebrity's face, put it into a pornographic movie scene, and then it kind of looks like them um, to a really realistic degree. Yeah, and we, we touched on this last week in, uh, in, at the end of our uh, episode where we were talking about that, but uh, very briefly we touched on it. And 
that, but that's the thing, right? This is what I'm trying to say is that I think, okay, the NSA maybe has more advanced uh, programs running uh, and software that they've created on their own. But in terms of hardware, right now, it's like they don't have the 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 factories and stuff to create like what Intel does or what Apple does with their Yeah, chips. but they don't need to necessarily either. Like you're, you're thinking about an economy of size here. Oh, I just think, yeah, okay. So you they just make the one crazy quantum yeah, or computing like the, chip. The set, yeah, the set that they need for their needs, right? Because that's the thing is that like they're not mass marketing because as soon as you start building stuff in mass quantities, those things are going to leak out into the public, right? So it's the idea that you're creating smaller things. You have access to uh, materials that we and the general public maybe don't have in ways of doing things that we don't know, right? And I mean, who's to say that they don't have a deal um you know with a smaller shop for this kind of stuff okay well that makes a lot more sense and now i feel dumb <laughs> but it's all about like the conversation here i feel like you and i uh illuminate each other yeah no i and you did like i you're right because uh, as i was saying that i thought in my head i'm like oh no they probably just make like five or six chips and they're yeah. way more advanced than anything else out there and there we go that's done yeah exactly they don't just go to ipads and like break them apart and then, uh, what, what if iFixit is actually working for the military and that's why they break <laughs> apart everything and they just pull out the chips and then they make their own little uh, proper, uh, much more powerful chips? I feel like Moore's Law applies to them to the nth degree almost. Yeah, so, yeah, they've broken through. Like now, Nef- uh, Netflix, not Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Intel is saying they have like this whole new process that's going to break through Moore's Law. Right. I Do don't you... know. I don't trust it. Not that I don't trust Intel. I, I feel like they've really lagged behind. Uh, like, who knew Apple would be like the premier chip designer at this point? I mean, yeah, no, I mean, they're at the forefront of a lot of these kinds of things. They have been for a decade now, pretty much, right? So it's not a, the biggest surprise. A, you know, it'd be a huge surprise if you told me like Asus was busy out here <laughs> making chips, you know? Like, yeah. But to sort of get back to the point, though, I do think that, uh, and I feel like we've gone off track, but not really at the same time. No, we haven't, <laughs> because this is this is why I wanted to talk about this article, and that, it, like I said, it mixes both segments yeah, of our show, for sure. and we're able to kind of like do what we never do and freely go between the two. Right. But I think beyond the, the military applications and the idea um, that Wagers was, and I, I do think very rightfully that he was saying, that like, oh, the military stole my invention. The, the boilerplate for the UFO is Wagers' invention in the pop culture sphere. Absolutely. Like, so if there's one thesis statement to this episode is that uh, the UFO came from Wagers' designs uh, and that's it. And then at the end, we'll say, and therefore... The UFO came from Wagers Designs, as you would do in a proper essay. Thesis. Yeah, exactly. Uh, thesis, couple of arguments, or wrap it up in the fifth paragraph. I still know I how to write an essay, Brian. I still know how to write an essay. Uh, are you going to write one about this episode? I'm not. I just talk now. It's easier just to talk. But it's kind of interesting to think, like, I never considered, like, um, where the idea of the iconic, because it is iconic. Like, I do believe that, like, more than any other image, perhaps, except the gray alien, um, when you talk about, you know, UFOs, flying saucers, UAPs, whatever you want to call them, there is this iconic image that is human in design, really, like, at the end of the day, right? Oh, yeah. Look, go look at, um, there's a great picture, the one called Central Terminal, the Discopter, and it's from 1950 and is uh, 19... Like, he, he drew it in 1950 from the U.S. patent in 1944. Uh, go look at it, and I, you would have a hard time arguing that that does not look like a UFO. That, again, I keep saying UFO. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to correct myself and say it, it looks exactly like what you would think of a flying, of a flying saucer. 
Absolutely. And it's kind of mind-blowing because I'd always considered the image to be uh, of alien origin for more, or like for better or for worse, right? I'd never considered there's like a human element to the icon that we see in all these places. And it's kind of touched upon because we haven't talked much about Randy Hunter, the man who sort of like helped create and sort of propagate and continue to propagate up until his death last year in 2017, the, the Wagers myth. That's the bittersweet part of this story. Uh, I didn't expect uh, to be actually emotionally involved in what happened to this man that because yes this the article is about wager but it's actually more about randy hunter and his pursuit of finding everything wager ever made yeah so unfortunately randy hunter succumbed to cancer uh in 2017 and if you watch the video that ashley vance shoots um and it's kind of described in the article but he his clothes um, due to cancer are suddenly like he's lost a lot of weight so they look very baggy on him he has to take breaks he's very he's a lot slower unfortunately in the way that he sort of like um, discusses things and uh, he even in Vance's article describes how sometimes uh, Hunter has like nods off for a couple of minutes and then resumes the story yeah it, it was really sad but it, I'm happy to see that he was able to get his story out finally and yeah I am actually shocked that you had never heard of this guy. Like, it's not shocking that I never heard of him, but for you not to have heard of this guy and what he what he's done, it's almost like it. it it's I, if you told me that we were bamboozled and this was actually like a work of fiction, you know, like Bloomberg's <laughs> other article about those those chips, the chips, and, yeah, right. like I would I would not be surprised because I had never heard of any of this, and I've been me neither. At, yeah, like I've been looking at UFOs for years, and this never popped up. Do you feel like perhaps it's by design? How so? Just the idea that like um, it's in the military's best interests to kind of keep this at bay. Oh, okay, yeah. So this like they didn't. This was prevented from getting out, and then but yeah, just popularized. This, this goes to show though that let's say this was a conspiracy that was hidden from us, and there's mm-hmm. like just five people talking. No, no, you know we know who invented the flying saucer. We say nah, it's just a conspiracy theory, and then here we know it finally came out. So maybe one day the moon, the fake moon landing and the JFK assassination will finally come out. <laughs> Perhaps what I do mean, like, and I'm not suggesting that this is plausible. I just feel like um, the coverage that this story got when Wakers went to the press about the issue of the government co-opting his uh, flying saucer designs was largely um, centralized within California. Like it didn't really go national all too much, right? When it happened. Yeah, exactly. And that's probably the reason why we never heard of it. So the idea of the iconic uh, mythical image sort of like overshadowing the inventor of said image it, it kind of applies in this in this case absolutely the like it's it's like you don't know who invented the kleenex no exactly mr kleenex Char- charles kleenex okay <laughs> do you not know the tale of charles kleenex my friend i do not know is he related to uh, sir thomas crapper no but he is a descendant of the uh, the earl of sandwich Ah, look at that. It all comes together full circle. Just the neatest little conspiracy theory. But yeah, so Randy Hunter um, has helped keep the idea of Alexander Wagers alive because he... uh, So I, from the article, um, Hunter estimates having spent $2.8 million on both collecting Wagers' stuff as well as buying parts of the land that Wagers lived in in Carmel um, Valley in California. He's uh, the epitome of the eccentric rich man. 
he really very much is and it's kind of insane but yeah so he spent nearly three million dollars trying to keep this man's ideas alive and you know the most famous of these obviously is the discopter right and so it's kind of interesting that this is all coming to light and you know let's put her like tinfoil hats on for a sec right so like i was saying before like this is a, a misinformation kind of uh, uh mission right so the government's trying to keep this guy down so like it would make sense in 2018 for this to come out and be like yeah we stole things because like you are 70 years removed almost from the incident itself yeah, it, it wouldn't. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me. It's it's it, like what's the statute of limitations on this? Uh, on UFO stealing, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> is there is there even a statute of it? Yeah, or a statute. <laughs> we'll have to ask. We'll have to ask the Galactic Court on that one. Yes. But I regardless, regardless to say that, like this is such an intriguing thing to me, and it adds this like weird, a very human dimension to a a, a literal figure that I've lived with for most of my life at this point. It, it was really, it really took me by surprise. And if you're listening to this, go read this article. It's a long article. If you don't want to read the whole article, just watch the 10-minute video then, um, which is actually really well done. Yeah, it really is. And the funny thing is, I know that certain people come out and say that this is just a coincidence. And that, you know, could be plausible. But at the same time, there are a lot of similarities and a lot of things kind of falling into place, both with the patent filing getting accepted, as well as the timing for Kenneth Arnold signing, and then like all this other stuff that kind of makes me uh, question, um, you know, the official story on things. Or the unofficial story, actually, come to think of it. Yeah, it's not... That's... It is... There's no official military story on UFOs and flying saucers other that than they actually didn't exist and we there was nothing to look at there. They closed the, the, all the different projects they had on it and they had no real final word on it. Even now, uh, no one's going to talk about it yeah. right, except uh, Hector Elizondo. <laughs> See you later, Project Blue Book, pretty much, right? Yeah, it, it's done. I, look, I came into this article having no clue what it was about. I did, honestly had no idea. I thought it was about a rich guy in Silicon Valley that was a UFO fanatic, and that's not at all what this was. It was a guy who invented a, a flying machine that was then appropriated as the classic flying saucer shape, and about another guy who was completely interested in getting his story out. And... uh it really affected me. I really enjoyed this article quite a bit. Uh, I, I would put it up there in like the top five articles I've read for this uh, podcast. It is a very illuminating article at the end of the day too, which I really liked. Um, and I started reading it. And I was like, this is perfect material for us because it kind of literally marries everything we talk about on here. Yeah, I think it was perfect. And uh, it was great timing because we, we, we've, been, we've had this article in our show notes for a few weeks now. And we figured we'd uh, put it in uh, this Boxing Day special because it would be a great little mix of the two. A nice short episode to listen while uh, you're away from work, hopefully. And uh, listen to us uh, by the fireplace uh, while you uh, admire your Christmas presents. So uh, two things before we wrap things up here for episode 87 of Double Density. And the first thing is that so the next episode 88, of course, is dropping in the new year. So we want to wish all of our listeners a happy new year. And I just want to take a sec to say that, like, we've had a lot of really, really good interactions online um, recently. And we want to thank everyone who's ever listened to us and taken the time to let us know what they like, what they didn't like. And honestly, like, it's so refreshing to have... Um, meaningful conversations and emails with, with people who uh, decide to tell us what they think and how they think. And it's very, very appreciated that you would actually sit down and take the time to interact with us in that way. Because sometimes I feel like we're just yelling into a void, right? Because we're just speaking into microphones. But then we have very real people engage us in very real ways. And it's it's very appreciated. So I'd like to just take a, a moment to thank everyone for that. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, we, we really appreciate it. We love getting 
any sort of feedback, uh, be it uh, via tweet or the emails we get in our contact page or even reviews on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as, as one would say, uh, it, it's... It's so are you just you, is that your way of saying like rate and review us everyone as like a Christmas present? I don't, I still am not convinced that makes any sort of difference. But uh, sure, review us. Let us know what you think. <laughs> Give us a five star review, and uh, or not, whatever, whatever you want. Tell us what you think. Yeah. Was this too much of a rambly mess? Did you learn anything? Uh, do you prefer we don't banter? Uh, that will be very hard for us to rectify because that's all we do. Tell Apple uh, Podcast that Angelo sent you when you fill in your review, please. Uh, the last thing I'd like to mention is you can always find us uh, everywhere on the internet, pretty much, right? So on Twitter, double underscore density, facebook.com slash double density podcast. Same thing on Instagram. Head over to double density.net. You can click on the contact button. If you feel like emailing us directly, double density podcast at gmail.com, right? Yeah. Although the contact form, which you fill out on the webpage, uh, goes to that email address. So uh, either way, you'll get it to there. And uh, Brian will probably see it first, and then I'll probably see it. That's true, because I usually alert you, because you seem to have a hands-off approach to uh, accessing the internet. our VP of social media. I am VP of editing the podcast. That's true. (laughs) Uh, What are your underlings like, if you're VP? Uh, Well, I have the cat that's staring at me right now. Okay, perfect. And uh, (laughs) I I tried Uh, to work from home the other day, and uh, I had both kids sick, and they made it very difficult to work from home. So, so you fired you fired your kids because yeah, you had no, those powers I, as VP. Uh, three hours into my working from home thing, uh, they both entered the same room, and I said, I better just take the rest of the day off. And I took the rest of the day <laughs> off because I was not going to get anything else accomplished. And we played more Smash Brothers and unlocked all the characters. I am so happy to hear that, my friend. And to all of our listeners and friends out there, uh, we wish you a happy new year. May 2019 bring you all the things that 2018 could not have. Uh, and with that, you guys should tune in next week as we do a bunch of peyote and talk to our true inner selves, Angela. Are you ready for this? I can't wait. I'll see you there, buddy. Happy New Year. Why is this video autoplaying? God damn it. It's the worst. Yeah, that's that's sorry. That's why I hesitated. Yeah, let me start that over.